fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 28, and I'm super excited to talk about today's topic. We've got a lot of great news topics, and for our main discussion, our favorite WWE matches of all time. Yes, movie fans, take a back seat to the wrestling fans, because this weekend is WrestleMania. So in honor of that, we're breaking down our favorite wrestling matches of all time from a story perspective, from an in-ring perspective. I'm super hyped. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm all right, man. I'm kind of tired. We uh, I have training on Wednesday nights when we record, and uh, there was a threat made to, this, to us newer guys a few weeks ago that um, after a certain event that we were going to be put through boot camp. And we said, yeah, yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir. And it kind of went out of our minds. And then today we were <clears throat> reminded of it. So I am quite exhausted. <laughs> but this weekend, I'm excited for it. It's our Super Bowl, man. WrestleMania, baby. It's going to be a very, very busy weekend. It is. Between, between TakeOver and WrestleMania, it's just so much wrestling. Yeah. And not to mention, um, doesn't... Um, so there's a movie that opens this weekend, isn't there? Yeah. Thankfully, um, I've already seen it because I genuinely don't know if I'd be able to squeeze it into this weekend. Fair enough. What what what's opening this weekend? It's um Shazam and Pet Cemetery. Oh, that's right. That is right. It is Shazam this weekend. And Pet Cemetery. That's what yeah. Okay. So fun fact, I just did a show in Dallas and um they were actually a, a sponsor for us. And so all of the heels squeezed it into all of their promos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna beat you, and all of you should in Dallas should see Pet Cemetery April fifth. <laughs> very, very great. nice. It was, it was very great. Anyway, let's get on to some news, man. Yeah. So Shazam and Pet Cemetery coming out this weekend, but in three weeks, the biggest movie probably of all time comes to theaters, and I'm probably one of the proud and the few that could say this. I have my tickets for Avengers Endgame. Oh yeah, dude! Like that's the tickets went super fast. Have you have you seen the memes of the 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 screens for buying tickets and they're like dissipating in, into a yep little dust. Fandango it's, crashed. It's, AMC crashed. Um, I must have gotten it like right before the wave hit because I saw I was early to work that day, so I was sitting in my car for like ten minutes and I checked Twitter. I was like, oh no. They dropped the trailer like we knew we would, and we'll get to that in just a second. But tickets went on sale for Endgame. I was like, oh, I got to get it first. Uh, men, men, listen, don't do what I did. I didn't consult the wife first, and I just went ahead with the tickets, assuming Heather would be fine with it. She was, but never do that. Always consult. In this situation, though, there was no time. Went in, got the tickets. There was only, like, maybe a third of the theater filled up at that time, not even. So we got good seats right in the middle, maybe three or four rows from the back for a 6.30 showing Thursday night. Super hyped and ready to go, man. Man, geez. Yeah, that's a, that's the way to do it right there. I'm I'm the guy that waits, you know, a week or two after a release and then goes and sits and sees it because I hate people. I just I want to be there for that opening crowd, man. I feel that. I feel that. And you know what? Eventually when I come visit you in um, in where you are, in Florida, um, you and I will have to go go to just any any movie opening just to try just to, so we can experience that together. Because you and I, yeah, we need to like map around a schedule of what would be a good movie for you just to come down to see that, just to see it. 
Exactly. Absolutely. Maybe Joker. We'll get to that in a, in a little bit, though. Um, so something that seems to be overshadowed with the whole um, pre-sale tickets with Avengers and breaking records, and it's on pace to get like $300 million opening weekend, is the fact that a trailer came with it. Like, no one's talking about the trailer. Everyone's talking about, did you get your Avengers tickets? Did you see the meme yeah. about the Avengers tickets? I love this, like, minute-long teaser trailer. I think this gives us our best clue yet of what the movie's going to be like. I actually didn't know about the trailer, so this this is good. I'm going to have to go look at this. But, I mean, really, I didn't need another one. I was pretty sold on the movie and how little uh, we know about it, so... Yeah, even in the trailer, we don't get that much stuff, which I'm totally fine with. We get some action shots, but not even that much action. We just get more of the team, and we finally get a shot of Thanos in person. I'm, oh, this movie needs to get here soon enough. I'm so hyped. I'm going through the Marvel movies, at least the critical ones that I feel like we're going to need to get a little bit of a refresher on. I'm so hyped for this. I don't. I genuinely don't know if there's ever been a bigger movie outside of maybe Star Wars. Like this yeah. is, this is an event, not one that comes around very often, but an event movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, like it feels like thirty times bigger, but um, it feels a lot like when the first Avengers came. And everyone was super hyped about it. And like this has never happened before. It's, you know, once in our lifetime kind of thing. And really it kind of is. Even, you know, because Justice League came after, it didn't feel quite as special because Avengers did it first. But like this one obviously feels so much bigger than that because it is a huge event. It is the culmination of 22 plus films. Yeah, and it's... It, the first Avengers was big because it's everyone on screen together for the first time. This is big because, like you said, it's 20-plus movies all leading up to this. Half the characters you know and love are dead, and we have this one last desperate shot to fix it. And it's, oh, I'm just so ready for this. Absolutely. The real question will be, what happens to the MCU afterwards? Like, I'm sure there's a plan, but does audience anticipation start to drop or does it stay at the same level? Uh, it, it's gonna. De- I think it's gonna depend on those end credit scenes and how they kind of tie the bow on this. Because I mean, as much as we'd like to, you know, think that the end credits really aren't that big of a deal, at least that they have felt like they ha- weren't a big, of, big of a deal leading up to this. The end credits for Endgame are going to ha- like that's going to tell us what direction we're going and what what else, what bigger things are coming. Yeah, that and Spider-Man. That and Spider-Man have to have some big ones because they keep saying we're not going to announce anything until after Spider-Man. So both those, exactly. I think, have some real big end credits. Absolutely. They just they just need to get here already. Which I agree. So with we uh, got a Spider-Man sneak peek at the um, Pop Funko for oh, yeah? Far From Home for Mysterio, and I need it. <laughs> so the big question here too is: Do you think you know now with, with um, some pretty obscure villains out of the way? Do you think they'll finally go into Green Goblin? Um, I think if we ever do get Green Goblin, it'll be after a Sinister Six. Fair enough. Maybe bring him in on that, like during the Sinister Six, or do the Sinister Six without him. I I would always do a Sinister Six without Green Goblin. 
Fair enough. Okay. I know that's bigger than Sinister Six, but yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a perfectly big, that's a perfectly valid point. So I was just asking to see where you sit on it. Yeah. Green Goblin to me has never been a Sinister Six member. Hobgoblin has, but Green Goblin is bigger than the Sinister Six. How do you feel about them introducing Hobgoblin before Green Goblin? I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I I could see it working. Reverse Um, it. Maybe Hobgoblin invents the tech and Green Goblin steals and perfects it from him. Yeah. I can see that. Or Hobgoblin is definitely just gadgets and stuff, and all of a sudden, this guy that looks... Hobgoblin is stolen Stark tech. I know that's more or less what Vulture did, but it works. But, I mean, it's at this point, like, all the major tech is owned by Stark, so I don't see why not. But then, so then you bring Green Goblin in and actually bring in the Green Goblin serum, and so he's actually a freak and actually pretty terrifying as opposed to hobgoblin who's just a guy in a suit i always thought hobgoblin was more terrifying than green goblin but speaking of terrifying freaks joaquin phoenix dear lord welcome to the new joker oh man look i know that they have said that this is a a elseworld elseworld story but I have never wanted someone to be the main sto- mainstream Joker so bad as when I when I heard that laugh and saw him just kind of just his mannerisms are incredible. Literally turn on a dime from quiet and reserved to I'm genuinely not okay. I'm very uncomfortable by you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Even just like the opening shot where he just does that that smirk. It just. Mm, Yep. <sighs> he's, he he is so good and just the ways he sometimes he bends his, his body in the trailer makes you uncomfortable for some weird reason even though like he could just be stretching and that's how his body looks and that's how all of our body looks when we stretch but because like the character has come off as this creepy dude like everything he does feels unnatural yeah he's very unsettling literally my only complaint or my nitpick from the trailer and this is more of just an aesthetics thing is i've never really liked the red suit i don't really like the red tuxedo look fair enough and i, I get that. i like purple more for a joker but i'm sure it'll grow on me well even then like it's so i think the whole point of the purple suit too was it, it, it was something different and something off-putting and especially a suit that shade of red is kind of off-putting and it's doing its job in that way. I can totally see that. Yeah, that's fair. I like that this is Joker, but it doesn't feel like someone's particular Joker. It doesn't feel like it's Heath Ledger's Joker. It doesn't feel like yeah. it's Jack Nicholson's Joker. This feels like a new Joker, but it's still Joker. Yes, absolutely. And I noticed something on his face paint at the, towards one of the end, ending shots is that he paints the eyebrows in a in a like uh, in a grin stance, basically. So his face will always be grinning no matter what he does. I This movie looks real twisted. It Somebody had a great comparison of it looks like Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro and he's like Travis Bickle, which I'm like, yes, that's exactly who he comes across as. And if that's the case, uh uh-uh, nope, no thank you, that's terrifying. Yeah, and and you know what? They might have, uh, I don't see, I read the comics and it's comments, sorry, on one of the trailer videos I saw, and some people don't know that it's an Elseworlds story. So, yeah, 
I will say that's that's probably another good point of this trailer didn't really do a good job of establishing it as an Elseworld story. Yeah, it is very confusing to, to those that don't know it. Absolutely, and you know what? To be fair, that leaves DC some opportunity to be like to either say this is an Elseworld or to tell us and flip the dime on us people that have followed it that no, nah, this is like this is this is the Joker now. Like this is who we have as our Joker now, which I would love. I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd be super cool, especially just based on this tra- uh, trailer alone. Yeah. The only, the only even semblance of previous Joker I get is his hair absolutely reminds me of Heath Ledger's hair, but that's about yes. it. No, yeah. and But it also makes sense for him because it's not – his character has long hair throughout the trailer even before the him, like, I guess, turning or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen. But he's got long hair, so it's not like it's out of nowhere. It's not – you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just think it's interesting that everyone, myself included, was pretty much like kind of hesitant about this movie and just going, I don't know if a Joker movie is the best idea. And then as soon as this trailer comes out, I've seen almost unanimous praise for this of, okay, I wasn't interested, now I am. And this absolutely definitely looks, it looks very different than what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. But I, I like yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah, and it's... It, it would be very easy to be campy and cheesy with Joker. And it looks like if they ever even go in that direction, it's going to take a twisted turn. Oh yeah. Which speaking of jokers, we transition from one Joker to personally, my favorite Joker of all time, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is a very prolific voice actor since doing star Wars throughout the years. And like I said, he's been Joker However, now he'll be voicing Chucky in the new Child's Play. And this, to me, is a match made in heaven. I'm not a Chucky fan. This might get me into the theater, though. Yeah, I, I remember you and I were chatting about it a little bit. And, like, it's one of those, it doesn't necessarily make me want to see the movie any any more than I don't want to see it. But... If Mark Hamill's involved, I'll definitely at least buy a ticket two weeks after it, it's released or something. You know what I mean? Like, I'll at least try to go see it now. Yeah, I really like his voice work. Not just Joker, but he's done other stuff. I really like him as a voice actor. Not just Luke Skywalker, but as a voice actor, too. So when I saw that, I was like, I'm not a huge Child's Play fan, but if Mark Hamill's voicing him, he does bad guy real well. I'd be so yeah. down for this. Well, and the image in my head that came to mind was because, ju- you know, Chucky has that cackle. And I know we're not doing the, the you know, the voodoo and stuff. But still, if you're going to sell me on a non-voodoo Chucky, having him do Mark Hamill do the voice is a good way to get me behind how creepy it is. Yeah. Also, something about Mark Hamill that is very applicable to Chucky if they want to go this route with this movie. And I'm sure they will. Mark Hamill's wicked funny, and I think he can oh, bring that humor yeah. to Chucky incredibly well. I, I agree. It's almost like some people forget about his, his comedic timing a lot like uh, Chris Hemsworth's. Um, he's very funny, and but he's very also very good at being funny and creepy at the same time. Like, oh, that's really funny, but that's coming from your mouth, and I'm you're, un, you make me uncomfortable. Hence why he's a perfect joker. Absolutely. Like, it's 
funny and uncomfortable at the same time. That's that's why he's my favorite Joker of all time. Absolutely. Um, now, do you want to keep keep on this uh, Joker train? Since I was just thinking some... the same thing. We got one more Joker piece of news we were going to save for later, but we'll talk about it now. And believe it or not, I might be in the minority when I say this, but I don't hate it. So but, we yeah. also got this week a sneak peek or like a tease at the final, this is my final form version of Joker on Gotham. And I'll be honest... It's not the worst thing in the world. Everyone's kind of blowing this out of proportion. I don't hate this. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched Gotham in a few seasons. Oh, um, same. I kind of, it, 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 I kind of kept tabs on it, you know, here and there, watched highlight videos and whatnot. Um, what, whatever the guy's name that's been doing Jerome? it. Uh, Jerome has been very well. I have enjoyed his interpretation of it quite, quite a lot. Um, I didn't think you needed to go this direction with it, but you know, whatever you do, you man, it's got Gotham has always done whatever they wanted when it comes to characters. So, yeah. Um, I've not watched in a couple seasons either, but from what I've heard, like no matter how bad the show gets, Jerome is consistently the best thing about it. And so I think what's throwing a lot of people off is the aesthetics. Like he definitely, definitely has a major aesthetically different design looking more like an old man with like thinned hair um wrinkles just looking gross but honestly it's so radically different that i'm okay with it i'll i'll give it a shot primarily because they've spent such a long time investing in the character of joker Mm -hmm. and making him such an interesting and entertaining version of the joker that even if they may have missed the mark aesthetic wise i don't think it's the end of the world plus With Gotham, with Gotham, I've kind of taken it with a grain of salt that I didn't like it at first because they changed so much from the original canon. But after I accepted that it's more or less its own thing, I kind of had more fun with it. Like I can go along with certain things because it's it's not the same Batman I grew up with, but it's a different interpretation. So I'm willing to give that a shot. They get yeah. some things right, like Jerome. Yes, they missed the mark on some other things, but by and large. I like seeing new spins on what they bring to the table with Gotham, so I don't think this is the worst idea. That might be the bat suit that I've seen leaked too. That that's pretty bad, but yeah, it's not. I don't think this Joker costume is the worst by any stretch. Well, and they I keep it, it keeps up with the the thing I hate most about Batman fans is that they've put um, Heath Ledger's Joker on a pedestal. And everyone's comparing it to that, and you can't do that because it's it's not that it's not Heath Ledger. Those and those two Jokers don't live in the same world either, so it, it, you can't quite do that. And I, now I haven't been following this, but are they going with the backstory that he follow falls into chemicals? Yes. Okay, then that then the the hair thing, the skin thing, that makes sense. To me, yeah. like that, the chemical burns would would remove a lot of hair. You know, that, that makes sense to me. That that's pretty logical to as far as that goes. Yeah, Batman fans will always compare things to previous incarnations. We still have people saying Keaton is the best Batman of all time. I'm not here to argue for or against that today, but you still got people that like what they like and don't like what they don't like, and that's totally fine. I'm willing to give this Joker the benefit of the doubt, which means I have to catch up on like three seasons of Gotham, but um. I've heard this last season is good, more or less paves the way for the big finale, which I'll probably do what I did with Smallville and just watch the finale and fill in the gaps later. 
But, yeah, fair enough. I'm willing like, to give it the benefit of the doubt. But let's move on to some non-Joker-related, but still staying in the comic book world, news with Jai Courtney. Normally, I'm not one to say in positive light <laughs> about Jai Courtney, but I will always say he was the best thing about Suicide Squad, and I'm happy to report he is coming back for the new Suicide Squad called The Suicide Squad. I can't tell you how excited I was when I saw this. Because and like I'm like you, like at no point was anybody before this movie going, God, if they don't bring back Jai Courtney, I just I don't know if I can watch Suicide Squad. But you know what? I was one of those people. I was one. If they don't bring back Jai Courtney, this the Suicide Squad is not going to feel the same. It's going to feel empty and weird because Jai Courtney as Boomerang brings so much to the screen. And I've never thought I'd be able to say that. Normally, I can't stand Jack Courtney. I think he's a very bland and boring actor, but he was the best thing about Suicide Squad. I loved Captain Boomerang. There's a great, more or less, rewrite that I've seen of Suicide Squad that officially made Captain Boomerang the main character, like the peop- the per- character that you see the movie through his perspective, and that would have made so much more sense and made it would have made the characters easier to root for. He should have been the main character and got more screen time. I just really liked his Captain Boomerang, and I want more of him. I'm Glad to see him coming back. He seemed to be having so much fun in the role, and it's literally the only Jai Courtney role I like. But boy, is it a good one. It's a good fit for him. Yeah, and to be fair, it's... He's the most entertaining character of the movie as well. Like, Deadshot is cool, but he's not... He's kind of bland and uninteresting. Harley Quinn is Harley Quinn. And then... Who do you have? Like Slipknot. Inferno? Oh, gosh. Get out of here. But then you also have Katana. <laughs> She's got my back. She got her sword traps the souls of her enemies. I'd advise not making an enemy of her. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, let's shoehorn another character in here and then completely blow over her backstory. That's totally fine. Whatever. I think <sighs> the reason we also like Captain Boomerang is he's the most human and relatable of all the characters. Everyone else kind of feels like they're just playing a part. Captain Boomerang is genuinely a moron that has no place being there. And he says so several times. Oh, yeah. But that's why he's enjoyable. Uh, Oh, absolutely. And honestly, if they keep... the, The big thing that I'm taking from this is if they keep Jai Courtney, he's got... As Captain Boomerang, I'm just whoever they get for Flash playing off of Jai Courtney is going to be so much fun. Yeah, and as we know, that Flash movie is probably going to be a lot of fun and not dark and serious because Ezra Miller is rumored to be out. Woohoo! Good. Finally. Let the beast die. (laughs) Yeah. So this next one, I don't particularly care about too much, but it's worth noting. We got a first... Trailer for the new Annabelle movie, and holy crap, this movie, this trailer has to take the cake for the dumbest characters in a trailer that I've ever seen. Well, yeah. So it's basically like these teenage girls are hanging out with one of the daughters of the Warrens, and she's just like, yeah, that's, that's the demon room, whatever, whatever, and that's where we keep all of our artifacts. Don't go in there, don't touch anything. They go in there, they start touching literally everything, and... All of a sudden, Annabelle disappears, and they're like, what did you touch? Everything. I'm like, okay, if you guys die, 
that is completely on you guys. Yeah. It's, here's the thing. When, when they first revealed in this Conjuring series that they have this room that they keep everything, I instantly said, that's Sequel a bad idea. Room? Yeah, the demon room. I said, that's a bad idea. The sequel and, bait room. Yes. I said, and then they got the kid involved, and I was like, this is even more of a bad idea. Yep. There's nothing good that can come of this. And guess yep. what? They finally must have heard me and said, hey, you know what? A bunch of teenagers in this uh, and, and being around this room would not be a good idea. Yeah, it's not a good idea. It's stupid. Don't um, – I mean teenagers are dumb sometimes, but stop. Let this – move. the last Annabelle movie was great. Let it be that. Why – stop milking the cow. Do you think it's going to be more like Annabelle or Annabelle creation? Annabelle. It's going to be like Annabelle, and it's going to be terrible. Yeah, I don't have high hopes for this one. The first tra- This first trailer does not look very promising. But then again, Annabelle creation looked like a dumpster fire. And it ended up being really, really great. And you know why? Why? Because it was directed by David F. Sandberg, who's doing Shazam and did Lights yeah. Out. Yeah. Well, anyway. Which, <laughs> I'm just... I'm, he's a I'm good director. Not, After seeing Shazam he, and Lights fantastic. Out, seeing them both, oh, the student knows what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. But is he directing this one? I don't believe so, no. Yeah, that, yeah. It's also the not on skillet that is Mike Flanagan, because oh goodness, if Mike Flanagan did one, this just needs to stop. They need to stop milking the Conjuring universe. Let it be, okay? Just oh man, no, out. they're not gonna do that. They found a pocket that they didn't. Now that Paranormal Activity is all but dead, they're like Conjuring. We're gonna milk that for all it's worth. Here's looking at you, none, none two, none taken. Oh Here's the thing: if none two can be better, I'm fine. Because if Conjuring has done anything, it's showed that it's pretty decent at getting good sequels up till after two. <laughs> well, the uh. thing is, though, with these Conjuring movies, it was started by James Wan. James Wan did The Conjuring. He's going to be a little preoccupied being underwater with Aquaman for the foreseeable future. So I don't see him being as heavily involved with this universe. And so Correct. when your big creative force leaves, I see the quality dipping. Plus, we're getting into sequel territory, which the more sequels go on, absolutely the quality will dip. Yeah, it's it's already starting to dip. I don't know what you're talking about. However, there is a sequel coming out that I really, really hope the quality does not dip on, and that is A Quiet Place 2, probably my most anticipated movie of next year. And we may have some new casting for it. Apparently, Cillian Murphy is in talks to be in A Quiet Place 2. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's the guy that they robbed from in Inception, Scarecrow in the Dark Knight trilogy, um, the dude from Sunshine, for those people that have seen Sunshine. Yeah. I love Silly Murphy. He's a great actor. So seeing him with A Quiet Place 2, yes, please. Yeah, I. so admittedly, and you know me, I am terrible with actors' names. I was like, so, so, I know that name from somewhere. And then I saw, you know, Scarecrow and whatnot. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He is one of my favorite actors and I love watching him act. I love watching him work. Yeah. I would like to see him in more things. Like he's always a really good supporting character. I don't know if he's ever been given the chance to really be a main character in a movie, but I would like to see that. 
hey, maybe this is his chance. Maybe he, alongside the aliens, is going to be the villain because, you know, that feels like a natural transition for this story is that now... He's always the villain, though. He is because he plays it so well. But, I mean, spoiler alert, John Krasinski is kind of out of the picture character-wise, so maybe he fills in. Oh, gosh. No. Not as, like, the paternal unit, but as the male figure of the movie. Maybe. I guess we'll see. But yeah, I could absolutely see him being the villain for this, more than likely. Yeah, it's it's just now that they know how to defeat, well, spoiler, sorry. Um, now they know how to defeat the aliens, then, you know, that the next natural transition is for mankind to be evil as well. But, you know, well, well, well that that's, feels almost too natural, and that feels very Walking Dead-ish, so... I would like to see it kind of transition between a hybrid of the first Quiet Place and The Last of Us. Like, we know how to beat them, but it's still incredibly dangerous out there. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, the creatures and human interaction will absolutely get you killed. I more or less just want a Last of Us movie, but I'll settle for a Quiet Place 2, a.k.a. The Last Quiet Place. Yeah. Oh. I'm down. Let's go. The last quiet place. I'm, ooh, I'd be down for that. Exactly. Now, this last news topic, I had no idea. Like, I saw that this trailer had dropped, and I really didn't give a second thought to it. But Josh put in the notes, I'm like, well, I'm going to look up this trailer so we haven't, well, we are, what I, well, so I know what we're going to talk about. Words are hard sometimes. Um, yeah. hey, I watched I just the want trailer. It to be known, I just wanted to be known that I put something in the notes that you hadn't heard about yet. Yeah, I had heard of it, but I was just like, whatever, it looks like an obscure indie movie. What we're talking about uh, is the trailer for a movie coming out called The Dead Don't Die. And oh my gosh, Josh, thank you. Thank you for putting welcome. this in the you're notes. You're welcome. <laughs> this trailer is hysterical. If you guys have not seen this trailer yet, look it up. It's literally what we do in the shadows meets Zombieland. Adam's it, Driver's comedic me. timing is so vastly underappreciated. Jeez, and he's acting across Bill Murray, and it's just everything is hilarious. Like this is this is a Zombieland sequel I can get behind if it was that. You know what I mean? I'm more behind like, this than the actual Zombieland sequel. <laughs> with the zombie, they're like the the the, uh, the zombies. And uh, this gravitate. has Bill Murray in it too. Yes, it's like the zombies gravitate back towards whatever they were doing when they were alive, and they, the the lady comes around the corner, Chardonnay. <laughs> And Adam Driver's like, did she just say Chardonnay? Oh. Yes, she did. Oh, God. So essentially so what this movie good. is, is Bill Murray and Adam Driver, Kylo Ren, are two cops in a small town that's being attacked by zombies. So the opening scene of the trailer is people at a diner getting attacked by zombies, and Bill Murray's trying to figure out what's attacked them. And he's like, do you think it was a large animal or a bear of some kind? And Adam Driver, completely stone serious, just goes... <laughs> I think it was zombies. What? You know, the undead? Ghouls? Like, completely straight-faced, 100% conviction behind what he's saying. And, like, Bill Murray sells it so well. He's just like, what? Like, you're an idiot. Like, there's no way. That's not real. And, and as oh, the trailer man. goes on, it of course, it is zombies. They're fighting zombies, and 
you see Adam Driver wielding a samurai sword, and Bill Murray says something uh, like, you played baseball? Yeah, class yeah, A, no big yeah. deal. Like, it's just a casual, like, just hey, man, awkward, this, goofy humor, and it just oh, seems great. So this almost feels like a Wes Anderson film. It does. If Wes Anderson did a zombie apocalypse movie. Oh, my gosh. If Wes Anderson so... directed Zombieland, it would be this movie. Yes. What does and he say? still he has says, Bill Murray. Uh, so it fits. Oh. Oh, he's like, um, oh, you got some back, some great cuts back there, kid. What'd you play? Used to play little league. And he's like, oh, I, you know, cut. I think he said uh, single A, a, a yeah. yeah, single A, nothing, no big deal. <laughs> but Adam Driver's oh, comedic timing—he's shown with oh. this um, a movie called Logan Lucky by the same guy that did the Ocean's movies. Uh, his appearances on SNL. Adam Driver's comedic timing is just excellent, and he's playing off Bill Murray, who's another comedic genius. I. Did not even know this movie was coming out until the trailer came out. And now this tops gets pretty high on my anticipated list. This movie looks hysterical. Oh, absolutely. And you're welcome. <laughs> the cast is super all over the place, too. You got Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Iggy Pop of all people, which admittedly <laughs> he doesn't look like he's wearing that much makeup. It just looks like Iggy Pop. Yep. And there's like the cat. There's so many people in this movie. It's going to be great. If it's half as funny as the trailers make it out to be, I'll be seeing this several times over. This movie looks oh, great. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's great because, like, what else are you going to title a zombie movie at this point? Like, you know, at, at this time in movie history, like, almost all the names for a good zombie movie has been taken. And then now you got uh, The Dead Don't Die. So. Yep. Well, that's about it for the news. Now. For the discussion Josh and I have been wanting to talk about for a while, our all-time favorite WWE matches. But before we get there, our sponsor for this week, because we see them every week advertised on Raw and SmackDown, Sonic. Why not? Oh, gosh. Yeah, just one week on Raw and SmackDown, I'd like to not have a Sonic commercial with those two guys in the car. Here's the thing. You people been sleeping on Sonic, all right? Dude, They've I have got Sonic right down the street. I love Sonic, but I hate their commercials. <laughs> you know what's funny, too, is those two guys have been doing Sonic commercials since, like, I was in college. Like, forever, man. It's not that long ago. Are you sure about that? Are yeah. you absolutely positive? It has been forever. It's been at least since, like, high school, I would think. Which is, you know, farther than college, but... Not the same thing. Not the same thing. You've been dropped but, on your no, head one actually, too many times. Just like the I people might, on our list today. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, remind me. Put it on our. Well, I'll, I'll sneak it on our news list and just, just, just to have some consistency, I'll go look it up and see how long these guys have been doing. Been doing the the. Commercial. Fair enough. That's your homework for next week's episode. Yeah, because we both keep know Josh I don't do any other homework. <laughs> people keep Josh honest. So. Our all-time favorite WWE matches of all time. I think to start off this conversation, we have to start more or less at the beginning for both of us. Well, at least for me. And I will 100% take credit for both you and Alex's love of wrestling as it stands nowadays. I know you both were fans back in the day, but I'm totally taking credit for your love of it now. But my love of it comes from somebody else named Colby. We don't really talk too much anymore, but picture it. 2014, Royal Rumble. I, like a lot of other people, 
was not a wrestling fan. I thought it was dumb, hokey, super fake. Uh, but a lot of people on our floor in college were going to this Royal Rumble party hosted by a guy named Colby, who's a huge wrestling fan. So he, the Royal Rumble to me is a perfect event to introduce someone that doesn't know wrestling to. So what it is, is you have 30 superstars, throw them over the top rope, and they're eliminated. Last one standing is your winner, and it goes on to main event WrestleMania, more or less. So they come in every 60 seconds or so, yada, yada, yada. So what Colby did, which was a great strategy for getting people interested that don't know who anybody is in WWE, everybody there got a number between 1 and 30, and the number you drew was the person you were rooting for in the match. So even if you didn't know who they were, you were rooting for them because you got a free meal at the end of it. I naturally had number 17. It was Sheamus. He was in the final four, so I was totally content with that. Um, it was just a lot of fun. I got really hooked on it. It was a great time. I was just like, okay. It was a great communal aspect, great communal activity. I kind of get why people were wrestling fans. Um, my favorite memory of that night, though, was uh, one of my friends at the time, Chaz, uh, he got a number, and we didn't know this wrestler at the time, but he drew El Torito, who, if you don't know, is like a three-foot-six uh, little tiny luchador person. And so two matadors, normal-sized matadors, come out, and he's like, oh, really? I get a matador? And Colby's laughing his head off going, nope, that's not your guy. They hold up a little flag, like uh, running of the bulls, lifts up the... Um, the flag, it's El, three foot six. El Torito was like, that's your guy. All of us die laughing going, oh. It was great. Uh, yeah, no. And, and then El Torito uh, still eliminated Fandango. I've watched oh, this yeah. rumble way too many times. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, to the same token, there was many Royal Rumbles after that and many parties after that as well. And that was a part. We made it a tradition from 2014 on to always have a rumble and mania party every year. Absolutely. So yeah, exactly. 14 is the it's most still, special. The thing. And also, we used to do, we hmm? used to do a belt, didn't we? Between yes, a group of we friends. Did. Once, and I don't remember. I think we all just kind of drifted away from it. Yeah. So what we also did in college was for the major pay-per-views like Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam. I think we also included money in the bank, uh, but yeah. any of the major shows, we all would more or less take predictions at the beginning of the show, and whoever got the most right would get a, like, $15 replica belt that I picked up from Walmart, and it always, like, changed hands like an actual title would, and that was always a lot of fun. We tried to keep it up after college, but no one ever, like, shipped it out or anything because shipping is expensive and we couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Um, but that was a really great communal time. It was two things in 2014 that really... Made me a wrestling fan. Royal Rumble, and then WrestleMania 30. Before I dive too much into it, Josh, what do you remember about Mania 30? Were you there for us with us for that? I died. <laughs> to be quite honest, there's a lot. I, I watch a lot of wrestling, especially nowadays. Nowadays, so uh, like I remember very key things that entertained me, and I guess WrestleMania 30 wasn't one of them, or I did, <gasps> just wasn't. Wa- How dare you! That? Either that or I wasn't watching. That's the Daniel Bryan mania, dude. Yeah, well. No, okay, then I wasn't watching. 
because I don't think I, I came. I don't think I started like watching with you guys until after his little. I think after he that little rise. Mm. But yeah, like, so WrestleMania I, Thirty. I, like, right there's a dude the, named yeah. Daniel Bryan who was who is like 5'10", 5'11", about average height. He's the most average-looking dude there is in wrestling in terms of he just looks like your hippie um, pot-growing neighbor, essentially. He's super hippie, but also super like normal, down-to-earth guy. And I remember very distinctly, one thing and one thing alone got me into wrestling, and it was the video that they played before his opening match at WrestleMania, that essentially if he won that, he was in the main event later that night and the video package was one of the best video packages for anything i've ever seen of i don't know who this guy i don't know anything about wrestling but in the span of three and a half minutes i understood who this dude is what he's been up against and why i should care and as bad as wwe has been over the years one thing remains true the video team is absolutely the mvps of wwe and whatever they're paid it is not enough oh yeah that has always been the story because holy crap, they make diamonds out of turds. Well, I mean, th- there's been some times where there's matches I'm not excited for, and then they then we you know get to the event and they show the video package and, bro, I'm I'm ready, set, and ready to rock. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, Daniel Bryan was held down by the powers that be, both in storyline because everything is scripted, obviously in, in wrestling, both in storyline, but also. In real life, this dude was told by management, we want to go with other people that are more easy to market, look better on posters, everything else. But he fought against the odds, became one of the biggest and most popular people of all time. And it was something I got swept up in. Haven't looked back since. Some days watching Raw, I wish I had left it behind. But just because your team's not performing well right now doesn't mean you give up on them. But... I have some other matches that we'll talk about later. I could ramble on all day about Mania 30, the rise of Dender Bryan. But before I ramble even more, Josh, what are some of your all-time favorite matches? I know you got a lot of NXT ones there. Yeah, well, and it was funny, too, because I was started adding things, and you were like, hey, you might want to ease it up there, buddy. <laughs> um, so one of yeah, my Josh first... legitimately had, like, 10 to 12 matches listed. Easily. Oh, dude, because, like, once once I started thinking about it, like, oh, man. So let's let's see, let's keep this going. This theme of as early as we can get it right. So my first real memories of, of wrestling was WrestleMania 17, that tag title match, the one where um, Edge spears Jeff off of the belt, off the twenty foot ladder. Yes, I was because I was flipping through channels or something, um, and that that was on and i don't know how because it is a pay-per-view so there's no reason that why it would, it would just randomly be, be on but that's what i saw that match and i was like because as a kid i was not allowed to watch teen, uh teenage ninja turtles i was not allowed to watch um power rangers i did anyway but because i was i was a pretty like violent kid and so but still are yeah, i mean obviously have you seen what i do with my for a living um but regardless I just happened upon that match and I was like, what is this? This is not something I've ever seen before and follow that. So like that match, like got me hooked and it will forever be like when people ask me, well, what was the moment you fell in love with wrestling? I was like, it was that match. It was that the, well, I was hooked from the very first moment. 
And the only moment after that that's not on my list is um, uh, Batista had a match or whatever on SmackDown, and uh, it went fine. He was awesome, and it was the moment I fell in love with Batista. And then Fit Finley came out and just destroyed him with his shillelagh and, like, left him bloody in the, in the middle of the ring. And I was just like, I don't know what uh, – uh, what? So it was – yeah, man, I was hooked early, early, Which- early. I make the case that there's no more fun word to say in professional wrestling than shillelagh. Exactly. Like, what what else are you going to say, man? Um, But being that said, uh, because I wasn't allowed to watch it, I could only, like, get it in snippets. And so after a while, I just didn't watch. I didn't try, really, because I didn't know that it was a Monday-Tuesday thing. Um, Because I didn't catch it enough. So like I, yeah, I didn't get hooked until you got I, I went got to college and met you and met Colby and Alex and got in on the Royal Rumble thing and then was like this is what I've been missing oh man so like one of the first memories I have of during that time was the series of matches for the intercontinental intercontinental title between Miz and Dolph yeah I think it was like in about two thousand I want to say seventeen man or it was we were graduated from college by then. Yeah, it was – it had to be about 16. It was it was fairly like within the last four or five years because I, I remember the video packages being in, incredible. And yeah, that was right around the, when the brand split started if I remember correctly. Uh, it might have been right before then because I remember Dolph putting his career on the line on the third on, – after on the third match. And so it made the it, – it, I remember it because it was the moment that the Intercontinental title felt – so much bigger than the actual heavyweight belt. Because oh, it must have been had, when Brock held it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was because you had these two guys that were, first of all, putting on incredible matches. And you have, you know, this one dude who's always been my guy, named Dolph Ziggler, who's legitimately putting everything on the line, even though he keeps coming up short. It was it was it was a great series, man. And if you ever have time to go watch it, it's fantastic. And it really solidified Miz as a as one of the top heels of all time. And now he's a babyface. Look how that turns yeah. out. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to do. And honestly, that's not going too bad. It's not going too bad. It's not going as well as Daniel Bryan's heel turn, but it's going. It's not bad. I I think one of my one wrestling memory that I absolutely know I have with you is when we were all huddled into our tiny little nine-foot-by-nine-foot dorm uh, for the 2016 Royal Rumble. It was you, me, Alex, Neslo, um, Michael, and Ed. And only about half of them knew who the number three contestant was. So the first two, because I've also watched this Royal Rumble to death, because I love this Rumble, was the WWE champion, Roman Reigns, and number two was Rusev. Rusev gets tossed out real easily, Roman hears this rarely random music that he's never heard before for entrant number three. And you know. Oh, yes. You oh, know how could it's I no, forget this? It was, oh. you know, it's somebody new when not even the crowd recognizes the music. It's like this weird hip hop music. And all of a sudden the crowd starts cheering, but freaking the camera crew doesn't cut to who's coming out. And the crowd's freaking out. And we had heard for rumor, the rumors for a long time that this dude may be coming to WWE. And we're like, I don't know. Is it in the Rumble? Probably, but we weren't expecting him to come out at number three. The dude that would become one of my all-time favorite wrestlers in like like that, just super quick. 
AJ Styles comes out at number three. And I remember all of us, well, half of us in the dorm, freaking out so loud, going, it's AJ Styles. And, like, I remember Michael and Nestle just looking at us going, who? Because they don't really yeah. follow wrestling. In even, even if they did, AJ Styles is coming over from a different company, never stepped foot in WWE. Well, not technically, at least. Um, so we're all freaking out. We're just like, he's the best wrestler that's never wrestled for WWE, essentially. Now pay attention and Matt bask in his brilliance. The dude lasted for like half an hour before he was eventually eliminated by the number 18, Kevin Owens. Oh, it's a, and so if you, uh, if you have the network, um, they have a play, the playlist of him and it starts at that and just, the thing was too like not only did AJ come come here at the Rumble, but his rookie quote unquote rookie year at at WWE is possibly the best rookie year ever because he is going in there with the top of the top people in the company and blowing everything out of the water. At the time, nobody thought you could get a really good match out of Roman Reigns, and he did. He got and two. Was, oh gosh, man. They, his, he, he, he got payback and Extreme Rules, two really good <sighs> matches out of Roman. So I recently have been like watching a lot of old school, quote unquote, old school wrestling, and I caught him uh, in like 2003 working Jerry Lynn, and the man has always been good. It is, it's not fair how good he is. To me, before he retires, I need at least one WrestleMania match between him and Seth Rollins. Oh yeah, maybe retirement match. Because Seth, mm. Seth was his first opponent was AJ, so that is true. But I remember 2016 very fondly because Josh over here, we did we kept the pool up of whoever got certain numbers got to win. Uh, Josh got number 30 for the 2016 Rumble. In the most predictable twist ever, it was Triple H and Triple H won from the number 30 spot. So Josh won that year. I, I got did. some real bad numbers, but we won't talk about that. The Royal Rumble is always fun. I remember that fondly. I remember the pop of AJ Styles coming out. The only time it's ever been rivaled in my years of wrestling, which admittedly are pretty limited, the only other time it's been rivaled and probably beaten, honestly, was I got the privilege of going to WrestleMania 33 because I'm in the Orlando area, and the pop when the Hardys came out. I'll never forget. And, like, I don't care who says it. Nobody knew that they were coming. Nobody knew because they. Oh the no, parties, that crowd knew. They didn't care. They, the Hardys played it off on their social media. The WWE played it off on social media. Like nobody, everyone likes to say that. Oh yeah, we knew, but up until that night, nobody knew. Yeah, I, I almost had it spoiled for me actually when I was getting up for a snack, but. I didn't quite hear what the people behind me were saying, but I knew from that moment on after I got my snack that I was like, something big is coming to this show. So when the New Day came out, I was like, Hardys? And sure enough, and it was great. I've got a couple more, but I want to flip it back to you, Josh, before I get to more of my story-based matches that I went with. Yeah. Well, and so, like, that's the thing for me is all my favorite matches are very story-based uh, story story driven. Oh, same. Um, exa- example: the the best of seven series with Sheamus and Cesaro right before they create the bar, um, and their their tag team. Because uh, 
when they started the best of seven and they announced it legitimately, the whole WWE uh, universe just groaned. No one like, gave a crap about Sheamus at this did. point. Everyone was like, Cesaro should be in the big, the main event. Yes. He should be this, that, and the other thing. Sheamus yes. is old, washed up. We don't really care. Yes. Best Absolutely. of seven. That's a horrible choice, McFoley. I remember that real well. Oh, yeah. And then they had the first match, and everybody was like, wait, what? Hold on. That was awesome. Um, no, it wasn't that one. To me, it was the seventh. Well, okay. It all First of all, they surprised everyone because it was a pretty good match, and we're like, okay. Because the first three went to Sheamus, and then the next three went to Cesaro yeah. to do the babyface comeback, and then the seventh the stupidly seventh. ended in a draw and a double no. came out. Oh no! It was it was not in my opinion. It was the best option. Oh no! That crowd was not happy about that. I remember. But no, it was. But it was. They were not happy in the best sort of way. So like, this is coming from somebody who's like in the business right now, I guess. But like, if you're gonna tell a story of two guys who have been slugging it out, um, why not end it? Like, if you're ending it like that, and the crowd is is screaming you know, fight forever, let them fight, let them fight. You're doing something right, in my opinion. So, like, because they, they do that, and then Mick Foley was like, well, I mean, you know, it's the best of seven series, and it's over, but the crowd obviously loves you guys, so I'm going to put you in a tag team. And they're both guys who are like, no, we, we, hate, we hate each other. Like, we don't want to do that. And he's like, sorry, you know, management rules, you got you to work together. And... <laughs> And then became the bar who legitimately for those first couple of years of, of being around was one of the best tag teams to watch and really is still one of the, my favorite tag teams. Yeah. If they cared about the tag team divisions, they'd focus more on the bar because the bar is great. Oh yeah. Well, and then they started doing um, some of the, some anime stuff in their entrance and it, it just killed me. It was great. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Um, Let's see. Another NXT more... match. Well, I've been saving those because those 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 hit me hard. Mm. Um, I'm trying to get off all of the regular WWE ones. Um, that first Dolph Ziggler Rollins match that went 30 minutes and snuck up on everybody uh, for the ti- for the Intercontinental Title when Drew and and uh, Dolph were still tagging. Those guys um, have great chemistry. I actually have um, one of their matches that I'm going to talk about. In a little bit here, actually. Yeah, because it was they had they had a match and they announced the match and they got into the match and it was going really it was really entertaining and really incredible to watch. And then all I remember watching it live and all of a sudden the uh, the announcers were like, "Man, they've been going thirty minutes! Like this is incredible!" And just as a fan, you went, "Holy crap! They have been going for thirty minutes and I haven't even noticed." It was. It, one of the best matches I've ever seen, and not like we're not even. That's not even getting to their Iron Man match or their, you know, uh, all the other matches that they've had after that. They were just incredible. See, that's not necessarily the Seth Rollins, um, Dolph Ziggler face off that I was thinking of. The one that's on my list, primarily because again, I have really fond memories of it, but I also like the story that they told with it. Was the 2014 Survivor Series, yes. which was Team Cena. Versus Team Authority. And if Team Cena won, the Authority would be banished from power forever. And yay! Naturally, the Authority 
came back after the banishment, but whatever. So it was five good guys versus five bad guys. Simple, straightforward storytelling. Good guys get the early advantage. Bad guys cheat to get the advantage. And it's a three-on-one with Seth Rollins, Luke Harper, and um, Rusev versus yeah. Dolph Ziggler. He's the only guy left. So he... He evens the odds and makes it two on one on one with him and Seth Rollins, but the authority keeps trying to cheat and screw over Dolph. They're just about to screw him over, get all the good guys fired. When all of a sudden, Sting comes out, and I remember watching it in the apartment with some of the guys. We lost it. Well, we would have been more excited had our bandwidth not been terrible, and we didn't have like yeah. two to three minutes of lag. But Sting finally debuting in a WWE ring. And what a great moment he had. And having Dolph Ziggler be the one to stand tall and not Super Cena was a great moment for Dolph. Um, just really great ring psychology and great storytelling of um, just the simple stuff of good guys outnumbered. Yeah, root for the good guy because you want things to be fair. And a lot of times WWE, they overcomplicate stories. But this is one that they played it Perfectly. I wouldn't have changed anything about that match, except for maybe Big Show turning. Yeah. But yeah. that's not my favorite Survivor Series match of all time. I know I'm in the minority when I say this, but my favorite Survivor Series match of all time is the 2016 match between Brock Lesnar and Goldberg. Uh, is that the sec- first or the second one? That's the 92nd one. So I like this one the best of any Survivor Series match because, and as you've noticed with this list, I became a wrestling fan in 2014, so a lot of these are more recent. But um, this is one that I have really fond memories of because when I started watching wrestling, I found out my dad hadn't watched in a long time, but he grew up watching like um, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes is like his all-time favorite wrestler. Uh, Roddy Roddy Piper. So the guys from his church would like go to... Um, old wrestling events and whatnot. So he hadn't kept up in a long time, but he will keep up with me and like watch pay-per-views and stuff with me. We're watching Survivor Series, and but at this time, it's 2016. We're well and truly over Brock Lesnar and just him destroying everybody. It gets an old, it gets annoying. We're like, no one's coming around to beat him. They're grooming Roman to beat him eventually, but no one's going to stop him. Goldberg comes, and we're like, well, this is just here to advertise a video game. And I remember this so vividly. Brock shoves Goldberg into a corner. Goldberg, when he's in the corner, pushes Lesnar down. Lesnar actually falls on his butt. And we laugh. We're like, oh, that's nice. Someone's actually shoving uh, Lesnar back. Then Goldberg spears the ever-living crap out of Lesnar. And both my dad and I just sit up really quick like, wait, what just happened? Holy crap, they're not actually going to do that, are they? So then Goldberg goes back to the corner again. Second spear to Lesnar. We're actually standing up at this point. Like, um, what is happening? And normally my dad is like me, pretty reserved when watching wrestling of like, well, we can kind of guess what's going on. Both of us are on our feet at this point. Goldberg gets Lesnar up for the jackhammer, hits it, counts to three. The ref counts the three count, clean as a whistle. We run to the TV, our mouths on the floor, looking at each other going, did that just happen? Like, high-five each other, just laughing of, oh, Lesnar's finally been beat. He just got demolished in 90 seconds. This is wonderful. No other match have I ever seen 
left me so starstruck of what just happened. Like, genuine shock, happiness, and oh, because I hate Lesnar. I know I'm supposed to, but he's the schoolyard bully that no one's able to beat, and it gets annoying after a while if no one's able to beat him. So to have somebody to, from high school to beat up the junior high kid, oh, it was just gratifying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, and they didn't – where they took the story after that was fine too. But, yeah, yeah that – Goldberg that, that a couple more times. Yeah, that 90 seconds was was superb. I enjoyed that immensely. Every once in a while, you need just one of those of just an emotion match of just, oh. Yeah. But yeah, before I get into my ones that really hit close to home for me of like, these these are my special ones. Um, Josh, what do you got for your big emotion close to your heart ones? Um, let's see. It's, these are kind of more recent and they are all NXT. (laughs) Um, uh, the, I think it's this past year, this past, it was either 2019, 2018 war games with, uh, war, war, uh, war Raiders, Ricochet. That was last year, I think. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's still pretty recent, but yeah, the, it's the second time they did NXT did war games and it is incredible you don't have to watch anything going into this match to not know who the bad guy is who the good guy is what the dynamics of the team are like it's they tell an incredible story and then there's a face-off in the center of the ring instead of the two rings that just like and that's halfway through the match too and it, you just get amped and some of the stuff that they do is incredible. And it's just, I don't know how to explain it without you people going and watching it. It's an incredible match that, ta- that with incredible match psychology and just character work. And it's incredible. Um, I also got the, the inaugural NXT North American title match with the six guys um, all on the ladders. Like it's incredible. I, I know I've said incredible a lot, recently here in the past 15 seconds it was star making um, i'll go with that yes like honestly everybody in that match was already on the top tier level but that match alone took every everybody involved to another level yeah same i love Um, that ladder match so much there's not a single weak link in that entire match oh no it's just very smart in the way that they play off the two big mans uh it's ricochet's first wwe match so it's it was cool to see what he was going to bring to the table, and just some of the stuff he does is just not fair. He's a superhero. Uh, he really is. He really is. He's he's just an athletic freak. Um, and really, like the last match I really want to talk about is something that I go back and rewatch consistently. Um, and it's NXT UK Takeover Blackpool, Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm. Um, it's also and this is not on purpose. It's just the one that stuck out to me right away. It's also the only women's match on my list. Um, the, I'm sure there's a plenty of that I have enjoyed over the years, but like this one, it's very recent and it, it sticks in my brain quite a bit. And that you have this dominant force of Rhea Ripley who is champ and this just fantastic baby face who's not like an underdog but she's an underdog when in comparison to Rhea Ripley who's 22 and jacked is all get out um but the story that they tell is incredible and uh there's a moment that I vividly remember 
where Rhea Ripley is just demolishing Tony, and Tony starts fight, uh, fighting up from the bottom, from the bottom, boom, 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 hitting her back, hitting her back. The crowd starts getting behind her, and then Ripley just pops her with a huge elbow, and it looks like Tony is about to like fall, and you see her just plant her foot and give a huge headbutt to to Ripley, and they both go down. It was oh man. It's an incredible match and should should be hailed as so. I've got two, maybe three, of my all-time favorite matches that I will always go back to because they tell great stories. They get me emotionally invested. They're at the core of what I think a good wrestling match should be, story-driven but great action. And they, of course, all revolve around one person. So let me give you some background context for those listening. Um, 2014... I became a wrestling fan, and I was drawn in by the story of Daniel Bryan that was going on around WrestleMania 30, of this underdog, this overcome the odds to finally win the day, just the all-around good guy, like the morally pure, the the good guy, like the Superman of wrestling, essentially, except more the Clark Kent of wrestling, essentially, because he's not overpowered. Um, unfortunately, a couple of months after maybe like a month or two after winning the title at Mania 30, Daniel Bryan had to temporarily retire due to um, neck injury. Uh, He would come back in 2015 uh, for the 2015 Royal Rumble, but he was gone. So I more or less like didn't really have a favorite wrestler or somebody to latch onto of like that. That's who I identify. That's who I love. That's who get my attention. Not on the main roster, at least in NXT. There was this guy, who was more or less the reincarnated version of Daniel Bryan, except caught my eye even more than Daniel Bryan did. And still to this day, he's my all-time favorite wrestler and always will be, Sami Zayn. I watched his matches in NXT, and something about him really caught my eye. But the one more than any other was his match at NXT R Evolution, or Revolution, depending on how you want to do it, December 14th, 2014. The story going into it was he was one of the best NXT had to offer, but like Peyton Manning in the playoffs, always choked when it mattered most. And that was a story that they had been telling for almost a year of like definitely one of the strongest and one of the best all-around characters in terms of morally morally pure, just the all-around good guy, never cheats, never takes the dirty road to win. But when it comes to the big matches, the big championship opportunities, always comes up just a little bit short. Whether that's because he won't cheat to get to that next level, he's screwed over, or the nerves just get to him and he just can't win. So come to our evolution, he has to face his former best friend, Adrian Neville. And because Sammy's so frustrated with constantly losing and losing to Neville, he puts his career on the line. Either I will win this title, or I will leave because I'm no longer good enough to compete at the level of NXT. And what happens in this match is one of the best stories ever told in the wrestling ring to me with some of the best action in the ring. There's a great moment towards the end of the match where the ref, of course, is distracted because the refs can easily be destroyed by anything. Ref's distracted. Sammy picks up the title, contemplating this moment of, do I cheat? Do I compromise who I am to finally win the big one, to get the goal that I've always dreamed of, that I've always wanted to achieve? Do I compromise who I am to get that? Throws away the title like Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. No, I will never turn to the dark side. Adrian Neville rolls him up for the pin. One, 
two. Sami Zayn kicks out at the last second. He will not lose, not this time, but he will still keep the moral high ground. He will still be the all-around good babyface that we know and love him. He gets Neville in the corner, takes a breath, thinks about it all the times that he's lost, been screwed over, gives Neville a halloo of a kick. One, two, three. New champ, Sami Zayn. Celebrates with the entire babyface locker room. Neville... Sammy offers a hand to shake his hand. Neville kicks it away, hugs him, raises his hand, says, you earned this. All the babyface celebrate. His actual best friend, Kevin Owens, who debuted earlier that night, comes to hug him, walks him back to the ring. Kevin Owens throws him to the ground and then power bombs him onto the ring apron. Kevin Owens stabs his friend in the back to get the title. It's glorious. It sets up a great story for Sammy, but then also illustrates in wrestling... That's a story never ends. It always keeps going. Yes, Sammy had this great moment. What's next? Kevin destroys him. Unfortunately, Sammy got injured and was out for a while. But he was Mr. NXT for a long time. And the other match that I always go to is if the R-Evolution match is Sammy's like, big moment, he's got to have his going off into the sunset match. And he had no better one than his match against Shinsuke Nakamura. Mm. I was gonna. I was hoping that you were gonna talk about that match because it is incredible. This match, basically, it was we got to make Shinsuke look legit. But if you want an example of how to do a good babyface versus babyface match, which admittedly is hard to do from a storytelling perspective, this is how you do it. Sami Zayn wanting to more or less go out. He knew he was going to the main roster. So the GM of NXT was like, you've been good to this company. You've been a good babyface. You've been loyal. We want to reward you for that by giving you a top star opponent. This new guy we got coming in, Nakamura, who was like the top star in Japan. What follows is 15 to 20 minutes of absolute ring magic. Josh, you remember this match? Oh, dude, I do. Because... I remember this was the first. This was the first match of Shinsuke. This was the first time we saw his entrance and heard his music, uh, and just and it was and it was Sami Zayn's uh, send off to the main roster, basically, and it was just incredible. And like I remember Jim Ross talking about it, and I just it was hard to be like, "Yep, sorry, you know Shinsuke will never ever be anything in this company after this after that match because." Just Sammy does such a good job. Sammy can get a good match out of anybody, but this match was magic of one-upsmanship, of anything you can do, I can do better. Um, But the crowd not really having a winner, like not having a favorite because they love Nakamura, but Sammy had been there for three years. He would become... just. People may say Finn Balor was the face of NXT. To me, Sammy Zayn will always be the lifeblood. Of NXT. Without him, he was the dude for a lot of years. Before you had like Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole, uh, Finn Balor, you had Sami Zayn. And to see him more or less right off into the sunset with this all time classic was more or less just like his reward of thank you for all your years of service NXT and go out with a blaze of glory. And holy crap, did they ever do that? Yeah, completely. Like, stiff match of actual elbows being exchanged to the face. The finishing sequence where Sammy takes a knee to the back of the head. I remember we were in college when this came out. 
and I texted Heather about how great this match was because she knew how much I loved Sami Zayn and that more or less Sami was getting up called up to the main roster. And she actually texted me, are you ready for him to come up to the main roster? And I was just like, I, I hadn't thought about that. Like almost texting me, I was just like, are you ready to let him go? I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for him to go to the main roster because he was treated really well in NXT and he hasn't necessarily been as well in the main roster. But yeah, it. I just love the storytelling that he brings to the ring. Those great matches, I will always have the most fond memories of. And they told great stories, which is essentially why Josh and I love wrestling. We love movies more than anything else. But wrestling is like movies in that it's storytelling, if done correctly. There's a lot of bad storytelling out there, both in film and in wrestling. But if it's done right, it's absolute magic. You take the combination of reality mixed with a little bit of fanciful in wrestling, like the Daniel Bryan story or the Sami Zayn story or even what's happening right now with the women's triple threat at Mania. A little bit of reality with some fanciful and you get good stories and that's what we like. We're storytellers. We like being creative in WWE, no matter how bad it gets, we'll always have some form of creativity to it. Yeah. I mean, you know what's really going to be interesting is right especially with Sammy is that he uh for those who don't know Sammy's been out with a, a, a double blown uh rotator cuffs. He's yep, blown probably both, that same both one from 2015. Yep. He blew both one in each arm. So he can't use his arms at all. Uh but he's went through surgery and is going through rehab and getting better and whatnot. Um when he comes back, bro, uh, that that'll I think that'll rival almost any pop. Night after Mania, dude. Okay, for those listening at home, this is how big of a fan of Sami Zayn I am. When we were doing our music for our wedding, Heather and I figured out a way to have Sami Zayn's music in it somehow. When we come, when we're announced as man and wife, and we come to the reception, we got Sami Zayn's entrance theme to play. Gosh, you got you're such a nerd. Dude, it was great. <laughs> Except for the fact that we didn't know really where we were going or what we were doing. Yeah. Like that was not rehearsed ahead of time and it did not <laughs> yeah. go well. But it was great to be able to have that. But yeah, wrestling at its core is stories. And we like stories in any capacity, whether that's wrestling, movies, horror stories, anything in between. That's why we're gravitated towards wrestling. That's why no matter how bad it, we get. We'll stay attached to it no matter what. Any last-minute thoughts, Josh? Eh, not really. I'm just kind of chilling, man. We got a big weekend in wrestling coming up. Um, I'm actually off Saturday, so I might actually get to watch TakeOver Live for once. So that'll be on awesome. Takeover's Friday. What? Yep. It, is Mania not on Sunday? Takeovers on Friday, Hall of Fame's on Saturday, Sunday's Oh, uh, that's right. I always forget about they, Hall of Fame. They switched it this year. Yeah, I always forget about Hall of Fame, man. Well, now All you right. guys at home know, and that's more or less it for wrestling this week. Join us for the next three weeks as we take the road to Endgame. So the next three weeks, we'll be looking at a different phase in the Marvel Universe, starting with Phase 1 next week, then Phase 2, Phase 3, leading up to Avengers Endgame. So next week, we'll be talking for our main discussion, the movies between Iron Man 
and Avengers. So we want to get you guys ready. We also ourselves want to get ready for Endgame. So yeah, look forward to that for the next three weeks. Josh, any last minute thoughts before I send us home? Not really, man. Keep watching film. Uh, go watch some movies this weekend, man. Shazam, from what I hear from uh, my buddy, is incredible and should be, you know, it's it's the continuous, continuing the step in the right direction for DC. So, and uh, you know what? Is. It, I know you and I nerd out a lot on this show, but honestly, go check out wrestling this weekend. It, it, WrestleMania is one of the other ones besides Royal Rumble that is a great great way to get people to watch wrestling because it's always a big spectacle. There's a little bit of something for everybody. You want the mainstream appeal? You got Triple H versus Batista, which I have thought about this on my drive home today. If Triple H doesn't come out in some Thanos-inspired gear, it's going to be a wasted opportunity. I agree. <laughs> but everything in between, no matter what you're into, you can find at least something you like at a WrestleMania. So that's our recommendation. Check it out this weekend. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals. <laughs>